0: do you think white identity politics are inevitable or even desirable the iq gaps are probably substantially genetically caused not entirely in
1: in a single lifetime short span over over the centuries i don't know the rise in anti-white Racist hate, as just the meat and potatoes of the New York Times and the Washington Post and so forth, is, you know, stuff that uh, the Anti Defamation League would be, you know, calling a drone strike on if it was about Jews.
0: Welcome to the Aporia Podcast. Remember, you can listen to this podcast on all the major platforms. If you like the show, you love the Aporia magazine. Find the link in the show notes along with our Twitter and a link to the bonus questions we ask our guests. This is Bo Weingard with Aporia Magazine, and today I am delighted to be joined by Steve Saylor. I think it's fair to say a conservative, a prolific, and provocative writer, an intrepid noticer of reality, and a tireless scourge of stupidity on Twitter and elsewhere in the world. Thank you, Steve. It is my pleasure to have you on. Glad to be here. Um, let's not beat around the bush. Let's talk about what everybody wants Steve Saylor to talk about, namely controversial things, (laughs) things that other people are too timid to say. So let's just talk about race. And I want to ask before getting into more technical questions when and why did you first become interested in human race differences? And when did you feel it was imperative for you to start writing about these topics?
1: Oh, I, I I'd imagine first becoming interested as a sports fan in late 1960s as a little boy, I can recall going to a, uh, a USC-Oregon State football game between two All-American running backs. Uh, The the white guy, Bill Enyart, kind of dominated the first half with his upper body strength smashing into the USC line. Uh, But in the second half, uh, the Trojans just kept giving the ball to O.J. Simpson, and not only was he (laughs) strong, he was fast. Uh, So that was 1968. Uh, Nothing I saw watching sports on TV uh, after that convinced me that race is just a social construct, a mass hallucination or anything like that. Um, So when I became interested in in writing opinion journalism, probably around 1990, just as a, as a hobby, a sideline to being the marketing research business. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one area that it seemed like uh, was an important topic, a topic of broad interest that was constantly in the opinion sections of the newspaper, but the level of insight uh, was something that, yeah, I could match right off the, right off the bat. I didn't have to be Uh, some genius expert with 20 years of experience writing uh, opinion journalism to be able to say more insightful things and we're getting published in the national press you
0: however so if i understand correctly and i i tried to go back and find some of this you've written you wrote some earlier articles for say national review yeah um some of what we might call mainstream conservative outlets. However, they do not publish articles about race differences. (laughs) Hmm. Not, uh, uh,
1: but what's, what's that? Uh, they published some of mine.
0: Well, do you think it's fair to say that you could not get
1: published there at this point? Oh, I, I don't know exactly. Um, I, Um, I got, um, when, when I started getting columnist jobs at new magazines, new online outlets, Mm -hmm. uh, that became more satisfactory to me than kind of going through the long process of writing as a freelancer and then sometimes getting rejected, sometimes not. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's it's not like uh, it's not like National Review and I are for ever enemies. Um, right. right, It it was it was it was a minor matter of personal pride and honor. With me being rather knuckleheaded, and and Rich Lowry, the National Review editor, around two thousand and one, behaving quite sensibly. Um uh, mm-hmm. i just i decided to insist that in the book review he'd commissioned from me that it it cite my uh weekly column in vdare.com, dot com but rich was mm. very mad at vdare.com. didn't want to cite that and and so I said, no, no, they're paying me you i need to be cited uh that was very silly on my part uh, rich behaved perfectly reasonably um so i wouldn't uh i wouldn't draw any massive uh, ideological conclusions from that uh <laughs> <laughs> that per- very personal incident uh which i did not you know behave in a in a wise or prudent fashion
0: okay that's that's fair i i won't make much of that and i i really i wasn't trying. i mean Shire did essentially fire himself by writing his <laughs> his provocative article, but I I guess what I mean to ask is, so you're talking about, you notice reality essentially, which is something you like to say. (laughs) And I, I appreciate that, um, that concept. And here you're noticing a reality between o- that obscure running back OJ Simpson and somebody else whose name I actually don't recall, yeah. <laughs> but it's a big leap from noticing these differences, which I think like the casual sports fan notices. If I talk to my friends who are not, um, let's say, haven't been inculcated with woke madness. And you talk about race differences at cornerback wide receiver, for example, they're like, yeah, obviously they notice that for example, Black baseball players tend to be better at stealing bases than white baseball players, et cetera. But it's a yeah. big leap from that form of noticing, which is a perfectly reasonable form of noticing, to the form of noticing that you write about in a lot of your articles now, or at least as I go back. Like, I think I discovered you maybe in you know, 2010 or something, let's say. You wrote why? a lot.
1: You were writing why, why, a lot. Why is it a big leap? I mean... If, well, uh, it is. For if notice public. that there are, say, pervasive patterns in sports. Yes. That, for example, uh, you know, it can extend all the way from as obvious as who makes the finals of the men's Olympic 100 meter dash. Well, <laughs> yes. 79 of the last 80 finalists going back through 1984 have been, have had at least uh, one parent of substantially sub subsah- sub-Saharan African descent, mm-hmm. uh, then gets more subtle. You things that people don't notice like, Oh, uh, basically in major league baseball in the last 50 years, uh, there's been a big racial divide in strong arm fielders, strong arm black uh, players tend to end up in right field, strong armed white players at third base. Um, Mm. You know, there's just all sorts of subtle differences like that. Uh, But the question is, all all sorts of things like this exist. They're pretty Mm. obvious that they're out there, at least the simple ones. Uh, Why shouldn't other ones involving uh, (laughs) social statistics as well as baseball statistics exist? And I've never seen anybody like, and people go, well, you know, that's a big leap. I don't know. Why is it a big leap?
0: So that's a good question. I mean, I guess what I mean by big leap is not that it's actually like a big intellectual leap, because I totally agree with you. It seems pretty straightforward. It's rather a big moral leap in our current environment of sacred taboos, right? So now it turns out that even talking about differences in sports, as I think you've probably discovered, is... Incredibly frustrating because you have people such as Rutherford who will start denying the obvious <laughs> and
1: yeah. tell you not to trust your eyes. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of people go, "Oh, it's it's follow the science." It's much more nuanced, but they never do any science. Right, exactly. I mean, for example, uh, <laughs> right. I did a um, a National Review article in 1997 uh when i when i had cancer and that was the only one i could really concentrate on all year uh at back in the 90s people have forgotten this that was was much more feminist about the future of sports than people are today that when they did gallop surveys the public a sizable majority would go oh yeah sure women are going to catch up to men in lots of sports and just, you know, runners will have the same time, male or female. Yes. So I did a study that said, oh, no, nah, that, that narrowing trend that everybody's thinking about, that basically happened in 1976 through 1988 Olympics. And yeah, that was pretty much due to steroids. Women get a bigger <laughs> bang from buck from the steroids. Interesting. But to figure yeah. all this out statistically, you have to look at the racial differences in mm-hmm. running speed. You have to ask, like, how come East Germany could create all these great women sprinters and before all of a sudden the collapse of the Berlin Wall and the end of the, you know, industrial, the steroid uh, industrial complex in East Germany? Right. But they couldn't create any men uh, top sprinters. It's all has to do with you know, the natural levels of, of male hormones. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and then, then all this gets tied into racial differences and running speed differences within sub-Saharan Africa between sprinters and, uh, East African distance runners. Uh, it's all sorts of fascinating stuff. It all made sense. Mm-hmm. Now, um, so the question is, you know, why don't people want to know about things like that? Or yes. do they want to know about it? I don't know. Some people do. Uh, other people are very offended. And, they, and immediately turn to what's wrong with you, Sailor, yes. that <laughs> yes. you want to know about? Uh, why there's these giant patterns that everybody sees at the Olympics every four years on television for the whole right. world to watch? And why are you the only person thinking uh, clearly and insightfully about these gaps? All right. Well, for me, it's kind of like, well, because they're interesting, uh, because I believe that, you know, figuring out the truth is better than ignorance, lies and wishful thinking, um, you know. But it's generally comes back to what's, there's something wrong. There's something sinister about you. And I'm like, no, yes. actually I'm kind of this cheerful golden retriever type <laughs> guy uh-huh. who's like basically kind of the ultimate staff man who's like, hey boss, here's some interesting facts and I just figured <laughs> out that are, re- that are real useful. Um, I don't have massive uh, underlying secret agendas. I, I like I like truth, uh, you know, so I've had an interesting, fun career, uh, you know, I've been able to figure out a huge number of things that just go right over the head of the famous pundits. Yes.
0: It is odd, is it not, that you, you have this horde of scientists and philosophers and intellectuals who pride themselves on attempting to understand reality, and then they ask you, well, why are you interested in this? Because <laughs> uh, well, I'm a human know. who's curious?
1: <laughs> right? I should yeah, say. I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm curious about, I turn on the TV and I go, oh, look at that. That's amazing. Wow. <laughs> right. How, why is that? Um, I, I totally
0: <laughs> agree. And I should say that when, when I first got interested in human variation, which I'm going to I'm going to get more out of this, obviously, but when I first got into it, I remember people would say to me, oh, like, yeah, maybe you can be reasonable about it, but like, be careful with sailor, Steve sailor, you know, (laughs) there was like, there was something nefarious about the sailor (laughs) perspective.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, basically, nobody's, nobody's been able to defeat me in a major argument on something, right it's not just you know top of my head speculation on my part but it's like oh yeah i've thought about this for a long time and i pulled all this data together and uh, so yeah i'm right about you know a bunch of important (laughs) issues and if i'm if i'm right about things now people then have this question of like well sailor what if you're right isn't that the worst thing in the history of the world? <laughs> yes. No. I mean, let's no. go back to you know, go back to my go-to uh, subject of sports. Okay, we see racial patterns in sports all the time. Is that the end of the world? Is as sports collapse no, in flames? Is there massacres <laughs> on the soccer pitch? Nah. Sports is going great.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm totally with you on that. So I want to get back into sports because I love sports too. And I don't get to talk about sports in the cerebral world as much as I would like, but I do want to, I want to ask about like topics such as IQ and crime, because I think those topics are more incendiary, perhaps for understandable reasons. So you've written a lot about the you know obviously the most important IQ gap is the black-white IQ gap. That's the one people seem to care the most about, and also the black-white violent crime gap. Although there are other gaps, so there's a white-Asian gap that's a little, that's smaller, and there's a Hispanic-white gap, etc. I mean, so, I mean the
1: Asian one is really interesting. Like yes, court justice. The Asian one is on some tests, at least. Uh, such as the SAT for college admissions, Asians have been pulling away from the field in the 21st yes. century. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like Secretariat in the 1973 Belmont, <laughs> it's um, it's just <laughs> yes. astounding. And I haven't seen any good research into why. And it it was central to the uh, to the Harvard case. Yes, but Harvard's busy, you know. Ba- Harvard's interviewers, uh, alumni interviewers, went out and interviewed Asian applicants, and went, "Yeah, a pretty good kid." But Harvard's staff of uh, admissions officers, when they interviewed, was like, "Yeah, run, you know, yeah, just another Chinese kid. Yeah, strong, <laughs> yep. but standard." Yep. Oh, so, okay, so. You know, that was this huge Supreme Court issue. The reason yes. it's, it's a big deal, what your, what people's subjective opinion of East Asian personalities is, is because this gap has opened up that didn't really exist in the late 90s in terms mm-hmm. of test scores between uh, Asians and everybody else. And the Asians have just pulled away. Now, does it exist in all tests? It doesn't seem to exist in the LSAT. I don't know. Uh I would think all right, but it's it's created these issues that everybody thinks the affirmative action decision was about the past, was about black and white gap and so forth. But you know, in in the upper middle class suburbs of the US, what parents are really worried about white parents are worried about is like, wow, the Asians are just dominating Mm -hmm. in all the credentials. Now, is that one reason why suddenly schools in the name of George Floyd have announced that they're not going to take the SAT anymore? I mean, the University of California, not just, they didn't just go, okay, you don't have to submit it, your test scores. They said, you're not allowed to submit any test scores. Uh, this is, right. you know, just craziness, <laughs> right. and so, you know, I, the, the new admissions at some of the colleges like UC San Diego are pretty, you know, pretty much of a lottery at this point, Right? And who knows what they're going to do to, uh, education at UC San Diego. Uh, do they have a plan for dealing with all of these, not very bright students? They suddenly started taking in, in the year 2022, I don't know. But uh, it could be that that, the nice liberal white parents are coming around to like going, yeah, BLM, let's ban the SAT because their kid got a 650 (laughs) and the six Asian kids in his class got 750 to 800. And they're like, wow, he can't compete anymore. So we got to change it to like who can write the better essay about, you know, Black Lives Matter. Just write it a hundred times. more. (laughs) I still have a fighting chance on that. So so this is interesting,
0: though, because I think you and I would both be what we would call hereditarians. That is, we think that the IQ gaps are probably substantially genetically caused. Not entirely. In
1: in a single lifetime short span. uh, Yeah, sure. Over over the centuries. I don't know. I mean, that was, that was one of the things that impressed me about like James Flynn, Mm -hmm. Uh, his research coming as a man of the left was, Oh, Hey, you know how they standardized IQ tests so that they're pretty culturally fair across space and culture. Well, they forgot to do it across time and right. it turns out that the raw IQ scores are rising. Why is that? And I'm still not that sure. I got some theories, but, um, uh, mm-hmm. but what, what it pointed out suggested to me was that it, you know, life can be very long and, and the centuries are even longer than that and things can change. Sure. History is really complicated. So what the future is, I don't know. But on the other hand, over the, in, over a couple of generations, eh. I mean, when I got, I got interested in social statistics because education was the debate topic uh, in 1972. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had to start reading a lot of social science at age 13. And I noticed back then that uh, the the general ranking of school performance kind of went number one, uh, Orientals. Number two, Caucasians. Number three, Chicanos. Number four, Blacks. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, everything's changed. Uh, In 2023, 50 years later, number one, Is Asians number two is whites with a small w number three is latinx and number four (laughs) is blacks with capitalized? It's all different, (laughs) everything's changed.
0: (laughs) Well, I'll accept, um, I have my own theories about the Flynn effect, but of course, the that gets into like serious technical territory pretty quickly. Uh, so. Yeah, so no need to be too dogmatic about these issues, but I do, I've seen you, I've seen your, uh, at least tweets, maybe I've read an article about those, the LSAT graph, which is just, it's ridiculous to look at the way, not the LSAT, I'm sorry, the um, SAT with the, the Asian scores. I'm actually very curious about causality there because yeah. if if you accept as I do that, there's probably a five-point IQ gap that tends to be quant shifted. I I don't know what would be explaining that. Is it they just practice more for the test? They're, they're more uh, assimilated into the culture? I, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Do you I mean, have a theory? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, is it selection? Have we... Have we selected uh, extremely intelligent uh, human capital from from Asia through the immigration Mm -hmm. system? Yeah, that's quite possible. Uh, Is it it test prep? I mean, you know, 30 years ago, they ran a bunch of studies that go, oh, you know, if kids test prep for for an hour after school for 12 weeks, they'll they'll get 20 points higher on the uh, SAT. It's not a big deal, but, you know, if, the, the Asian level test prep is you know for several years you know That's three right. hours a day it's it's you know I mean the I mean the the Chinese emperor introduced testing to determine your fate in life are you going to be a Mandarin and I think 605 A.D. and so test prep probably originated in, Chicago, in China in 606 A.D. and you know they're, they're really into it. They're good at um, it. <laughs> you know, can we have a, you know, should we study th- this question and go, okay, we really need to get back to more pure aptitude tests. We're letting people grind out huge scores. Mm-hmm. By we, We've done some things that reduce the the advantage of just being really bright. We got rid of the analogies 15 years ago on the SAT because the UC David the UC California chancellor was like what do you need an, b, the ability to think in analogies for that's not like anything you know what's what what else in life is like an analogy test come on all you know, of one. i could think of a few <laughs> things but he apparently couldn't and so the college board went yes sir our biggest customer will you know, we'll get rid of those horrible analogy tests Um, so they've done a bunch of things that basically made the SAT worse and, you know, why not put together, you know, we do have academic experts who could sit there and if you give them all the data, they could go, okay, you know, we could roll things back to 1994 when we had a pretty good test and yeah, it would probably cut down the advantage, the, the advantages. It probably wouldn't make. Blacks and Hispanics worse off mm-hmm. because that wasn't there. That was bias on the tests was never the big part of the problem of why Blacks and Hispanics scored lower, but we just shot ourselves in the foot and we've made the test more preppable by, by people who are have a culture of fanaticism about test prep. But I don't know. Nobody, nobody, Has there been any call for a a blue ribbon commission to (laughs) fix, uh, testing? It would seem like a
0: priority. There, there seems to be a trend toward attempting to eliminate it, but here's a question on that. So I think. Maybe I can empathize a little bit more. Maybe not. I don't know. But, like, do you think that there there's a legitimate concern about, like, racial disparities and that the, the fact that people get worried about these things, it's not just that they've been infected with Desantis's woke mind virus. It's that, you know, there's some legitimate concern that uh, people tend to have an affinity with their race, they see these disparities, and they become irritated by them. So for example, just speaking of this Asian Asian situation, let's suppose that in 20 years, the three most elite universities in the United States are 60% Asian. Mm-hmm. that would probably cause serious problems right, <laughs> right? Yeah. like I, I, mean, I do not think the, the the europeans here would be so happy about that
1: yeah i mean then would the asians who get in would they be that happy uh that, you know they pro you know i was promised the harvard yale stanford experience but i'm getting the uc irvine experience right socially uh i mean if if Stanford becomes, you know, like it's like Yogi Berra's favorite restaurant, it got so popular that nobody went there anymore. If Stanford becomes <laughs> so popular with Asians, uh, are are the top Asians going to want to go there? Um, that that was the that was the concern at the Ivy League in 1920. Was y- Yeah, well, you know, Jewish. we used to let it. You know, we used to not worry about. Christians versus Jews. We have these, you know, very smart German, very cultured German Jews, very rich, and everybody likes them. And now there's all these these Eastern Jews have shown up and they're not very cultured and they're not very fashionable. Damn, they're smart. So they ended up putting a, a quota camping the Jewish population for right. s- several decades. Um, Harvard got a got a leap up over the other Ivy League schools by getting rid of that about 1955. It took Stanford to about 1965. Um, so they're they're basically doing exactly the same thing. Um, right. It's uh, now you know at the, at the down at the other end of the spectrum. Okay, if you're if you're Harvard and Stanford, you can recruit some really smart black people. I mean, Harvard and Stanford, etc., have have a high yield rate. Uh, you know, Barack Obama was offered a full ride to Northwestern Law School and was heavily recruited by like, the, pre- the dean of Northwestern Law School to be their star black student. But he said, no, nah, I'll, I'll pay my way through Harvard because it's, it's Harvard. Right. All right. But and, And so the 1978 Supreme Court Bakke decision, the the controlling decision was by Lewis Powell, who said, Mm -hmm. told everybody, hey, everybody, all you colleges out there, just be like Harvard. Harvard's got affirmative action. They, they do this kind of holistic thing. They don't call it a quota. They call it a goal. Everybody else you can just be like Harvard. it's like, eh, it doesn't really work that way. There's a bell curve and Harvard's out at the edge of the bell curve and Harvard's doing pretty well at it. And there's all sorts of problems that have been created, uh, among colleges that aren't Harvard. Uh, So these things, I don't know, I I find them not that hard to think about, but other people have a hard time thinking them through. I mean, generally. Now, uh, a, a similar question would be, well, maybe what we need is quotas for, you know, quotas for blacks, but not just any blacks who get off the get off the 747 from Ghana. It's, you know, it's gotta be the Michelle Obama types rather than the Barack Obama types, you know, at a place like Harvard, you know, Barack Obama types, uh, son of a foreign elite, uh, son of a, Amer- a white American, uh, take up a huge fraction of, of right. Harvard's affirmative action mm-hmm. slots. Um, uh, Michelle Obama's uh, not so much. Um, I mean, but maybe that raises another question, you know, is there something seriously wrong with African-American culture? I mean, maybe, maybe, uh, Nigeria and Ghana and Kenya and, and Barbados, uh, maybe we're just skimming the elites off that, off that. Right. But it's also, what, you know, what if they just have a more wholesome culture that inculcates, you know, hard work and, and intellectual life and American, African-American culture is really good at producing rappers, uh, But there's just huge downsides to, to what we emphasize in the United States that that blacker countries try to they try to avoid and they try to have some kind of class system that's like no no we we don't act like that you know so mm-hmm. i don't know but uh yeah i mean it could be that quotas are necessary to have some sort of black middle class in the united mm-hmm. states
0: yeah uh, that's what i i mean i i'm just so do would, would you accept my fundamental premise on that question, which is that probably for evolutionary reasons, people have a, a kind of, uh, I'd, it's a subtle racial affinity. I, I don't think that it's particularly strong. I think you can easily create multiracial coalitions that are completely functional sports teams are a good example, yeah. but on average, if you throw me in a room with 20 people, And there are a couple other Caucasians in there, I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, okay, like we're Caucasians. (laughs) Right. And there's nothing nefarious about that. So I just think people see that in the world and they notice if an underclass is composed significantly of one race, that might be a serious problem.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was Judge Powell's, Justice Powell's big uh, theory in the Bakke decision was oh yeah we need affirmative action in college campuses so we can have these fascinating wide-ranging art debates in the classroom with all sort of a wide diversity of perspectives brought by people of all different races even if uh, this these type of people have slightly lower test scores than these other type of people right um, and everybody went, wow, yeah, that makes sense. And then, all right. So we've had 45 years of empirical experience since then. And we see, uh, actually it works the opposite, right? Um, an affirmative <laughs> yes. action campus. You just shut down diversity. You get a yes. cancel culture because you get all these students mm-hmm. who are extremely worried that somebody's going to notice that, you know, they're not as bright as the other kids. Right. And so we've destroyed diversity of opinion on campus on the big issues through affirmative action. On the other hand, you know, uh, I mean, they talk about how in uh, I was was looking at one uh, social scientist who's looked through all the numbers. uh, And uh, it was like, yeah, at the University of Michigan Law School, yeah, the you can predict where everybody's going to score their, th- their three year grade average, uh, by their LST, in and their college. It's just, it's extremely cut and dry, high correlation. And yeah, the average black student there would score at about the second percentile among whites. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh boy. Uh, now, usually, it's it's nowhere near these huge gaps. Uh, High end law school is is a lot like computer programming. People give lawyers uh, a lot of grief, but it's you know it's like writing a contract is like writing a computer right. program in a, right. in a language from 15th century you know Anglo uh, Anglo French. Uh, so. Uh, it's real hard. Um, what we, I mean, we, I mean, as a country, yeah, we need a black middle-class. We need a black, we need, so we need some affirmative action. Uh, do we need affirmative action for police departments? Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, you know, there is, is there not, there's nothing more political than the police. I mean, the etymological roots show that. On the other hand, should we have affirmative action for fire departments? Is f- fires that's kind of political and it's kind of not, and it's, it's actually the field is getting ever more technical. It's not just having a strong back and being brave, right? Uh, so that you know that kind of ma- uh, intelligence and and stick to itiveness for studying the books and so forth matters for firefighting. Um, you know, at the high end at, at theoretical physics, you just basically, I've read a thousand articles over my lifetime going, Hey, we just did a study of theoretical physics. We've done a study of oceanography. We've done a study of golf course architecture. And there's there's black underrepresentation. What is, What is this? What right. is it about oceanography? And then they, then they go interview, you know, the one black lady oceanographer, and she's like, yeah. And then people like, when I, I noticed that people looked at me funny at the oceanographers <laughs> convention, and they tried to touch my hair. Right. So I've I've quit doing research, and now I do. I just go around give speeches about discrimination in the oceanography field and i'm (laughs) really happy that i don't have to go underwater and deal with slimy fish and so forth anymore (laughs) um you know every i mean (laughs) i mean part of my meat and potatoes is just reading articles that go in a shocking discovery here in Duluth, Minnesota, it was discovered that there's a racial gap between <laughs> the white students and the black students. Yes. And then about 14th paragraph goes, and the 175 Asian students scored even higher than the white students. <laughs> and, yes. and then they interview people on the school board in Duluth. And it's like, oh, well, you know, there's got to be some some reason that Duluth is so weird no, that's that's exactly the same all across the country. The Stanford, a guy named Sean Reardon, has put together a database of all the school test scores in the country, and then he adjusts them by the federal NAEP score. And he says, "Yeah, there's there's no there's not a single one of the two thousand biggest school districts in the country where mm-hmm. black sixth graders, on average, outscore." Uh,
0: white,
1: white. yeah it, yeah it's zero out of two thousand it's the most yes. universal pattern and people ask me like how can we live like that if it? and i go oh we live like that the <laughs> world do. goes on you know or if you were right what would the world look like and it would look like the one where the Delu- one we have what 1900- <laughs> 1,999 other school districts, all <laughs> the same. Uh, you know, the, it's it's not okay. So if you you, you take your basic bell curve, um, what about whites uh, scored about the sixth level, the eighty fourth percentile. Of blacks, blacks scored about the sixteenth percentile, the median. But that also means that one out of six blacks is smarter on IQ tests than, than the median white across the country. That's about 7 million blacks are smarter than the average white. That's, that's a big number and everybody should like, you know, write it on the back of their hand and, and keep that in mind. So it's not a reason to, you know, disc, it's not a reason to discriminate, uh, just randomly at first contact. Absolutely. People. It's a reason to have tests and in-depth interviews and so forth. Um, but so, let me
0: challenge you on this, though, just if because people so like let's say you do. I'm sure you're familiar with like these traditional audit studies, which will be like you have the the application. It will be a white and a black person's name. It will be the exact same application. And let's. I mean, I think it's changed recently, but like the traditional finding was the white person would get some more callbacks. Yeah, now, I mean, I mean,
1: what they do is they pick out a super ghetto name. Yeah, exactly, and, like Tyrone or something. Yeah, you know, Tyrone's uh, Darren. Is that not too? No, <laughs> those are those. You know, too mainstream. I mean, <laughs> the apostrophes and the Qs and the cues that aren't followed by right. You, okay, uh, you know. These are tells. Yeah, they are. But
0: let's suppose that it, it I guess the point, the point, and it's an uncomfortable fact and, and people, I, I've, I've even shied away from even making the point on Twitter because obviously it's just too easy to take something out of context or whatever. But if you have a background distribution, such as the one we have, and you have imperfect information. It's not irrational to quote-unquote discriminate. In fact, that's what a normative system of reasoning would tell you to do. It would say, like, look, if they're exactly equal on this application, but the background distribution is not the same, and the the information is not perfect, it's not irrational to discriminate, right? And I I do think that's Uh, a hard...
1: Yeah, Yeah. It also depends on how big the penalty is. Yeah. Good. point. How privileged is the person? And by privileged, I don't mean, uh, the way we use privilege today. That's kind of some murky reference to the distant past. I mean, legally privileged as in, oh yeah, you can, if this person, if this hire doesn't work out, uh, if they're black, they'll, they can have a much higher chance of winning a settlement from you.
0: Right. As we just saw, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So, uh,
1: you
0: know, th- I guess what I want to push you on is that <laughs> I actually admire your optimism. I think these prob I guess I actually think some of these problems are a little bit thornier in that. Yes it is true that you you have this 7 million category and yes it is true that you have an overlapping distribution and that's very important and I I I obviously I'm a somewhat of an individualist and, and I don't think you should discriminate when you can avoid it but I do think these differences that you talk about a lot and just noticing I do think they pose a serious challenge to a multiracial society. I just think it creates tension that is hard to deal with. And I think part of what we would call wokeism stems from the fact that people can't accept that there are just intrinsic differences. So they have to blame somebody. And what they've landed on now is blaming white people for their pervasive racism.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, over the course of the 21st century, the... uh... The rise in anti-white racist hate mm-hmm. as just the meat and potatoes of the New York Times and the Washington Post yes. and so forth is, uh, you know, stuff that uh, the Anti-Defamation League would be, you know, calling a drone strike on if it was about <laughs> Jews, yes. Um, yes. you know, has it, just become kind of standard. And it it grows out of. Uh, you know, kind of the last man standing question is, all right, why, why are there differences in performance between the races? All right. Charles Murray suggests, oh, I've done this huge amount of research and it looks like there's differences of nature and nurture that lead to these consistent differences. And then other people uh, went, oh, it's probably just cultural. It can't poss- It's just nurture. It can't possibly be nature. We're the centrist, We think it's just nurture. That was real common um, in the mm-hmm. first decade of the 21st century when all sorts of uh, new tech billionaires were like, oh, okay, no one's ever thought about this problem with black underperformance <laughs> before. So I'm going to so I, Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> right. and Bill Gates, we're going to pour a lot, ton of money into the latest theory that somebody just explained to me about education. Right. And then that didn't work. You know, we had the No Child Left Behind Act. Uh, Ted Kennedy and George W. Bush got together in, in 2002 and mandated that all public school students in the country be above average by 2014. Seriously. Uh, public school students are ranked on federal on tests as below basic basic proficient advanced and the law said everybody's going to be proficient in just 12 years all right well you know 2014 arrived and that hadn't happened all right so um uh Okay, where, where were
0: we? <laughs> you were uh, talking about casual anti-white racism. Okay. And, and, so what and happened like, is
1: yeah. since, all right, so through roughly 2012, the Obama administration, probably Barack himself, is keeping a lid on what became the Great Awokening. He's going mm-hmm. like, look, I'm running for re-election, you know, we're not going to go full on anti-white until I'm reelected. I, I know you get people want to do it, but uh, white people might get sore about it. All right. So then after the elect, the reelection, then you have the beginning of the great Awakening. You can see, you can maybe see it starting in 2012. It mm-hmm. really gets going in 2013. Uh, what happens then is because You've canceled, you've pushed beyond the Overton window, Charles Murray. Now the people who think they're centrists, who go, oh, well, you know, it's it's differences of nurture, and we just have to figure out how to fix the school. All we have to do is fix the schools. All of a sudden, they became the extreme right of the <laughs> Overton window, right. and they get condemned. And you end up with Ibram X. Kendi uh, basically as the center of conventional wisdom, which is that any statistical difference between black and white is due to black, whites being bad and right. they're at fault and they must pay. And this is, you know, an appealing, uh, logic, especially if you're one of the people who might get paid, uh, and yes. so it sort of swept America yes, It is now. And so, you know, we then had the Ferguson effect, black lives matter start about 2014, uh, mm-hmm. not surprisingly we told, you know, the establishment was like, oh, okay. You know, there's too much policing of, of blacks. Uh, we shouldn't pull them over for bad driving so much. And so what happened was, uh, blacks started dying more in car crashes, and they started dying more in uh, in shootouts. Uh, mm-hmm. What's going on is, if you're not as worried about getting pulled over uh, for speeding or having a tail light that's out or something, you're less likely right. to be searched for or called in for a warrant. So maybe you should take your your illegal handgun with you when you go to the party. And then when you get to the party and if you have an illegal handgun in your wall, in your in your waistband and somebody insults you, Mm -hmm. well, you know, just bang. Uh, So stuff like that happened. Now, it wasn't huge during the Ferguson effect. It was kind of localized to places like St. Louis. Baltimore after Freddie Gray, Chicago mm-hmm. after Laquan McDonald, and then it helped get Trump elected because of the various Black Lives massacres like in uh, Dallas and um, Baton Rouge, that've been Memory Hold. Uh, but then uh, in 2019, the New York Times editor uh, Dean Baquet he, he called an all-hands meeting for the newsroom and said all right i I, I realize that our plan a for getting rid of trump which is russiagate has failed the mueller testimony was a disaster that's not we've been planning to get rid of trump over russiagate for for years now but we have a plan b that's racism we're gonna just just pound on the racism issue we got six the 1619 project going it's gonna be race 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 all the time until trump's gone so you know we saw that and so the new york times and the media that followed the new york times lead which is Mm -hmm. basically most of it right um you know that they were fired up to find some sort of george floyd type incident and then so and finally, they got their George Floyd, and and then what happened? Oh, well, we had the mostly peaceful protests that involved burning and looting, uh, you know, the Jewish district in West Hollywood. We, you know, just gnashed, looting across the country, etc. Uh, but interesting thing is a huge spike, a huge increase, not a, not even a spike, a plateau in blacks dying due to the triumph of Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. So so black homicide deaths went up about 40 percent and black uh, car crash deaths went up about 35 percent just immediately, like in the month of June 2020, and just stayed there, stayed high all the way through 2021, dropped a you know small amount in 2022. They might be coming down now. Mm-hmm. Um, the other groups, uh, Hispanics, didn't figure out at the beginning what was going on. It's like oh, you know the the cops aren't supposed to pull you over as much. But by 2021, they were catching on. Mm-hmm. You know Hispanic Hispanic crime and drunk driving and so forth had actually been improving in the century. Nobody gives Hispanics credit for it, mm-hmm. but uh, it'd been getting quite a bit better relative to both blacks and whites. Uh, Hispanic uh, death rates from homicide are just a fraction what black rates are, right. even though they're about the same socioeconomic status. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if this country could see black homicide rates fall to the level of hispanic homicide rates this country would be a racial utopia but nobody ever brings that up because because the only it's it it complicates the logic of white man bad white man must pay (laughs) oh well you know hispanics they don't shoot each other and actually you know, remember how they used to drunk drive all the time? They're actually they've gotten better at that. They're not doing it as much anymore. Ever since they start, we started putting up billboards that say one DUI offense is going to cost you ten thousand dollars. And Hispanics mm-hmm. thought, "Oh, actually, I guess the Gringos are serious about this." <laughs> um, so, all right. So, two thousand and twenty. So, George, the George Floyd thing was a disaster for. Black Lives Matter For in its basic terms. It got a lot, right. whole bunch of Black lives murdered and splattered. Probably, right. probably there were about 10,000 incremental Blacks dead in the year 2021 relative to the trends through 2019 from car crashes and homicides. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably as of now in mid-2023, we're talking about 25, 30,000 extra black deaths due to the, what the media used to call the racial reckoning that they so enthusiastically declared around June 1st, 2020, yes. which they now memory hold because, oh, that didn't happen. It would, any, anything weird that happened in 2022 had to be about due to COVID. Yes. Uh, yeah. That was the. No. What? what there were riots? There was media coverage. They they suddenly decided the whole world suddenly decided that, that blacks, the word black should be capitalized and no one should refer to blacks but to black people, unlike whites who right. not capitalized because they're bad. Um, and oh we should hand out giant reparations to to blacks in California because of the legacy of slavery in California. <laughs> you know. Okay, so the establishment went nuts, following the logic of of Kendi-ism and it got a whole lot of people killed. Um, you know, probably at least fifty thousand incremental deaths. But concentrated. Is, is
0: that really people. like the the best like estimate you have? Fifty thousand, because that's a lot.
1: Let me think about that. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm not, we're not, I would estimate that, in but... three in, th- in exactly three years. Mm-hmm. Um, the peak was probably 2021 was about 10,000 incremental black deaths. Okay. Uh, probably eight seven seven or eight thousand incremental in uh 2020, six or seven in. 2022 hopefully just a few thousand in 2023 um hispanic deaths are are lower but they're coming in so yeah let's let's not say 50,000. let let's say uh you know in the 30s okay i mean it's it's kind of a korea war vietnam yeah i mean that's terrible that's terrible but bigger than iraq bigger than afghanistan uh, what i nobody guess nobody knows what I, notices nobody cares people have noticed right. that the homicide rate is up. Yes. people have also noticed oh the car crash rate is up. yes nobody <laughs> Puts points out oh yeah that happened with the ferguson effect for a while and that happened right. with the floyd effect it's you know it's i i call them deaths of exuberance because the opposite of what uh, the economists uh Case and discovered in 2015 when they noticed, mm-hmm. Hey, working class whites are managing to cut their life's expectancies substantially due to like opioid overdoses, cirrhosis, mm-hmm. suicide, just other really depressing ways to go. Um, you know, the, the results of, uh, the two thousand twenty racial reckoning was this increase in in deaths of exuberance on the right. on the roads driving like a maniac. You mm-hmm. know. The the number of people on American highways killed by ejections is way up. I mean that's that's really that's, spectacular. That's when you're shot show.
0: through your windshield.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you fly through the Not windshield. a good one. <laughs> um Ugh. So, you know, homicides are way up. I mean, some of this right. is like stimulus and, and COVID stimulus and uh, sure. the rent moratorium, put more cash mm-hmm. in people's pockets. Everybody right. thinks that like, oh, well, COVID, that must have been really depressing because here is a writer living in Brooklyn. And I found it kind of isolating and a Kafkaesque experience. But. Right. For for a lot of people in 2020, he was like, oh, we don't have to pay rent. <laughs> well, I'm off to Las Vegas, and I'm going to you know buy a whole lot of sh- fireworks and a few handguns, and uh, and I'm going to drive 118 miles an hour on the way back. Right. So Question. I call this the secret I... history of the 21st century. There's whole a whole lot of things that, that happened for you need to write obvious this book. reasons, and nobody notices them. <laughs> Right.
0: So here's, with all of this stuff, and maybe some listeners disagree with your interpretation, maybe they don't. I, I find m- many of your arguments incredibly persuasive. But do you think you can have a sustainable conservatism? And I don't know what your brand of conservatism is, but a, a sustain Can we afford to ignore the reality of race differences? Like, that's the the thing that drives me mad and why i i sacrificed my career <laughs> and and my reputation to write about these things because if you don't you do get this we'll use your word exuberance you get an anti-white exuberance right because everything is suddenly the white man's fault the white woman's fault a little bit karens are kind of bad and it's a way to extract resources from white people right i mean that yeah. really is what's happening and yeah I just I read the National Review and it I find it so uh vexing because they don't talk about and I'm I'm I d I am do not mean to unf you know like to pick on them unfairly, but I'm just using them as like a mainstream conservative outlet. You know, you write at tacky, you write at UNS or something. I read your articles, I'm like, yeah, this is in touch with reality. It just drives me mad that these other places won't talk about it.
1: Yeah, I mean Americans Americans are concerned, Americans on the free market, low tax right are concerned about the argument that yeah, if if African Americans are not likely to make as much money, uh, even if they did have kind of a moral revolution. Uh, does that mean we need to pay higher taxes and kind of support our fellow (laughs) citizens? Um, right. You know, is if, if in the lottery of life, you know, people, it's not just the content of your character, but also your upbringing and the content of your genes and so forth. Do we need more redistribution, more of a Scandinavian type system? Mm -hmm. And the arguments are like, yeah, probably. I mean, (laughs) we should (laughs) probably, I mean, other arguments are stuff like, well, we should be really concerned about immigration. Mm -hmm. We should try very hard. We should try hard to make money off of immigration to let in Mm -hmm. people who are going to pay a huge amount of taxes because they're brilliant. And for people who are going to basically be kind of a net burden on society whose kids you don't want to send your kids to public school with. So you're going to have to move further out of town and commute further or send your kid to private school. And we should do a better job of keep holding them back at the border. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, the black issue is, yeah, blacks are our fellow American citizens. Not, mm-hmm. All of a sudden there's all sorts of ones showing up from all over and they' they tend to be the ones getting hired by corporations and so forth who are diversity uh, inclusion and equity programs right. uh, but uh, yeah, we need to we probably are gonna have to kind of subsidize our African American uh, historical fellow citizens, probably for a long time, in some sort of fashion. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of an anti-conservative view, if you're too realistic about it. Um, so, it doesn't really catch on. Um,
0: right, I but, mean, you could you could argue it's a... It, I mean, I tend to... I, I don't have particularly strong views about... Um, you know, fiscal policy or monetary policy for that matter. But I'm I'm pretty socially conservative. I'm an immigration restrictionist, for example. But I think you could just argue that this the, the socially conservative position would be to accept these differences, to confront the anti white hysteria, and to create a more stable society, because what you're talking about with some sort of redistribution. The, the reason I support it is not from some like moral principle is because it creates a more stable and harmonious society, which is what I would like.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. And probably, probably the Danes have, a, have about come about as close as anybody can get to a sweet spot, which is, yeah, we're going to have a, You know, we're going to have a fair amount of redistribution here, uh, but we're going to be really careful about, um, about immigration here. We're not going to let everybody, you know, force their, all the Muslims force their daughters to marry their first cousins from Pakistan so they can get a visa in here. You know, we're cracking down on that. They've been doing that for a couple of decades and no... Denmark hasn't turned into this fascist hellhole. Denmark's in a pretty good shape. <laughs> Seems uh, like the left has come around on that. Um, you know, for African Americans, uh, yeah, basically, because you're not allowed to be realistic about it, then you just can't. What, what happens is the redistribution constantly get the, the anti keeps getting upped, so mm-hmm. that. Uh, California is talking about let's give a million dollars to every poor every black person you know who had to live in California, just suffer what the, hor- the horrors of life in California like OJ Simpson and Bill Cosby and right. so <laughs> forth. Um, you know, right, uh, it's just it's just nuts. And San Francisco is like a million. Five million, and <laughs> and and it needs to go on for 250 years, and people right. are, and you know, the New York Times writes about it. Goes, well, this may be a little difficult to pass, and you know, what about the the Asian victims and the Hispanic victims of white racism? You know, clearly whites must pay, but. You know, maybe we need a broader coalition of everybody who's going to get paid off at the expense of whites. All right. That's you can read it every day in the newspaper. Uh, Basically, when they talk about equity, they want your equity, your home equity. They want to take (laughs) it away from you. Yes. And they're not being subtle about it. Uh, So. You know, my theory is, yeah, you know, why don't we go back to the good old days of hypocrisy, where uh, where people were like, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm real, I'm I'm real serious about uh, you know civil rights and stuff like that." But no, I'm not going to give. No, I'm not giving up my home equity. Forget that. I'm going to leave it to my kids. They're my right. children. I'm not going to leave it to some random. Uh, you know, race uh, rabble rousers who, who hate my race. All right. And, you know, America was worked pretty well like that in the, you know, nineteen, seven, through to 2010 or something. It's really only the last 10 years during the great Awakening that um, any kind of sane hypocrisy has come on the chopping block of, you know, oh, we're going to, yeah, and your kids do better on the SAT, then let's get rid of the SAT. That'll fix everything. <laughs> we'll just we'll have UC San Diego, all the mechanical engineering students will have no clue what they're doing there. And that'll make life better, you know, because it's not racist. Uh, you know, the country you know, if we roll the country back to 2011, it's not, you know, probably That's... be in a lot better shape. <laughs> I,
0: I I don't disagree with that, but I have a question about that before I get into yeah. my bonus questions with you, Steve, um, which is, do you think in some sense white identity politics are inevitable or even desirable? Uh, Because this is something I've resisted as somebody who was sort of raised classical liberal type. I mean, not not libertarian, but more classical liberal and really enjoyed the principles of liberalism. But I just don't see how that's, one, not inevitable, but two, maybe even one could argue that it's morally justified when there is an all out mainstream media assault on a particular race and it's not the race they would tell you it's on (laughs) right like i don't think it's an exaggeration to say that the the typical like uh mainstream outlet is anti-white in some sense so i don't know what you're at it because i don't think i don't know that i've ever seen you write specifically about that but like do you think i guess there are two questions there one is the predictive do you think it will happen or is happening and two is it morally justifiable?
1: I mean, I'm I'm sort of a 2007 era stuff, white people like personality. And, you know, so a so big thing among white people in 2007, according to the website SWPL, was raising awareness. And one of the things I try to do is raise awareness of just how crazy and... Virulent, the establishmentarian rhetoric has become mm-hmm. about whites. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of thing that uh would set off Jewish alarms now, everybody assumes like oh whites they're a giant majority well, ex- except pretty soon they won't be a majority <laughs> right, and then they better watch out uh you know they're obviously so privileged um they're, you know, nothing possibly could could happen to them other than, you know, we deprive them of jobs, of careers, uh, of home equity, et cetera, et cetera. All these things we're working on right now. And, right. Um, so, yeah, basically. I try to raise awareness of just how malign uh, kind of the the kind of wokeness is that it's not just it's not academic euphemism like critical race theory that i mean chris rufo did a great job of mm-hmm. giving people something to object to right uh, because white people don't want to talk about anti-white racist hate right that's What's going on, basically? Yeah. Um And uh, so, basically, you need euphemisms. You need it to be kept on a very polite level. Uh, white people don't want to engage in white identity politics. I mean, I, I had this discussion with Jared Taylor like eighteen years ago, and mm-hmm. you know, I was like, Jared, you, you know, you'd be a you'd be good at being sort of the Al Sharpton of white people, the Jesse Jackson of white people. Uh, Except white people don't want to have an Al Sharpton or a (laughs) Jesse Jackson. It doesn't seem very white of them. They they like colorblindness, meritocracy, fairness. They don't like clannishness and so forth. Maybe in the past it wasn't always like that, but Mm -hmm. these days it sure is. So, uh, I mean, basically, you know, don't look to me for brilliant political leadership. Um, <laughs> look to me, Fair I mean, enough. basically, <laughs> the best I can do is raise awareness. Sure. And, you know, state things as clearly and as honestly as I can. Um, so, you know, that, that's the best I can do. I hope we don't need to go to a, uh, a society where everything is just, you know, a racial power struggle. But mm-hmm. we're, you know, we're sure moving in that direction. Um, you know, we need to, the, the logic for it, you know, the, the arguments in favor of doing that that are given by Professor Kendi are kind of dumb there's obvious counter arguments that you're not allowed to mention, so yeah, I think in in open society, yeah, I can I can out argue uh, Ibram X Kendi, uh, yes. but we don't have we have a world where Ibram X Kendi is paid large amounts of money to spew racist hate, and I'm not paid. Uh, large amounts of money to point out obvious truths. Um, (laughs) Good good way of summarizing uh...
0: the depressing state. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I, yes, I, I have, I I have ambivalent feelings about what what one might call white identity politics, but I I guess I just see them as almost inevitable.
1: it, It doesn't do a lot for me Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's the kind of thing I would rather, you know, have the ability to point out, to satirize mm-hmm. anybody for any reason. Um, yes. And not just, you know, have to be on a team. But is that working? Yeah, that was my next question. <laughs> I've been doing this for a long time. Right. Uh, I'm pointing at. I spent a long time pointing out how the world works Mm -hmm. and doing a better job of it than, you know, Ibram X. Kendi and a million other people. Yes. Um, And I'm widely hated for it. Uh, So.
0: (laughs) You're widely, we should say you're widely um, respected and revered by some people. I will say of, of guests, people ask me, have Sailor on, have Sailor on. So there are a lot of people who appreciate it, I will say, but yes. Okay. So I really appreciate your time. Let me ask you these bonus questions because I think they're okay. usually pretty good. So who, if you could pick one person, we know it's not Imbram X. Kendi, but who is like the most eloquent and intelligent person with whom you generally disagree who, who argues against you or who would argue against you, who has the best case? Um,
1: well, I've, I've learned a lot from people over the years. I was going to... Um, you going to cite somebody really obscure, a friend of mine.
0: Now, if you want to hear our guests' answers to the bonus questions that we ask, then you need to become a paid supporter. And You can do that over on our subsite page for just $6.99 a month or $69.99 a year. I promise you it's well worth it. Supporters also get early access to the podcasts and to our special filmed conversations, which go up over on the main channel somewhere over there or down below. The link is is always down below. And of course, if you liked this, then you will love our online magazine. You can check that out by clicking the link down below. And if you are so inclined, you can find the links to our Twitter and TikTok. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you in the next one. Favorite nonfiction and fiction book?
1: Probably both would be some kind of satire. Uh,
0: Who is maybe the smartest or most interesting person you've had the uh, luck or pleasure to meet?
1: Wonderful guy. You know, deep abiding love of Africa and Africans um <laughs> you know, so uh all sorts of fascinating insights.
0: And finally in this one, I, I don't even I hope you come up with maybe a creative one because this question is what is your most controversial opinion? And I was hoping you would say like Leo Tolstoy's overrated or <laughs> Fitzgerald's the greatest novelist of the twentieth century. <laughs> But Um, (laughs) could you think of one that really rankles people more than just the usual sailorisms? I'm.